So I'm going to read you something I share usually uh, uh, Okay, I'm going to read a quote here and uh, then we can discuss a little bit about different things Okay So everybody knows who Krishna is Yeah? Krishna is not. I mean, God has many names, but he's not Hindu or Christian or Muslim or Jews. The origin of all life, all the universe. And uh, in this tradition, uh, we know him as Krishna. But he has many other names, too. You know, all traditions have different names. Valid names. Here is my guru, what he say in a letter to somebody. Uh, actually, there is nothing but Krishna all around us. This is explained in the Gita. He's the taste of water, light of the moon, the fragrance of the flower, light of the sun, sound of the sky, the power of the strong, and so on. So one who's, one who's actually making progress in Krishna consciousness, he can see Krishna everywhere. At every stage of life, who can avoid the sunlight, the moonlight, the fragrance of the flower, the taste of water, the sound of the sky, and so on? But one has to learn it, that there is Krishna in all the varieties of existence. Without Krishna, there is nothing. It is simply by the influence of Maya. Uh, that uh, that we cannot uh, that we forget to rise with Krishna with everything that be. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's universal vision. Uh, that's the beauty of Krishna Kamas doesn't speak my religion, your religion, your God. It doesn't speak never like that. We try to see the universality, the, the, the unity of everything, you know. That means philosophy, you know, we need philosophy. Uh, religion without philosophy could be sentimental, even fanatical. And philosophy without religion or God is just mental speculation and can lead you to become an atheist. By the way, nobody's atheist here. I mean, it's okay, we have nothing against the atheists, by the way. We just, uh, you know, uh, feel sorry for them because they can't understand higher reality than this reality. They think, they think this life is the all in all. And there is nothing else beside this. So that's a very short-sighted point of view of the law of the world. Uh, since we we are human beings, it's natural. Even from childhood, we, we we ask questions: Why the sky is blue? Why the birds are flying? When we grow up, we may ask more deeper questions, like who I am. And why I am in this world? What is the purpose of life? Why am I suffering? Is this, why, why I don't know all these things? What is there after that? I mean, these are the three questions everybody wants to know. If God exists, what happens after that? And if there are extraterrestrials? Is it? <laughs> Is it true? I mean, everybody wants to know that. <laughs> uh, once, once a reporter asked uh, my guru Prabhupada, do you believe in, in, in the extraterrestrials? And he said, yes, we are all extraterrestrials. We don't belong here. We're just passing through. We love to higher realms different. We are spiritual sparks, actually, living inside a, a cage-like body, you know? 
this body is born, then grows up, then gets old, then get sick, and then die. But when this body dies, we, the soul, doesn't die at the time of death. The soul survives the death of the body because we are not the body. So according to our state of mind, at the time of death, that will take us to the next life, you know, so to speak. And our state of mind uh, grows on us during the life, you know. The things we, we like, the things we don't like, the things we think about most, all these things get accumulated. And at the end of life, the thing you, you like it the most, the thing you were attached the most, that you will think about. And according to that, the next life, your mind will be the vehicle to transport you to your next body, according to a state of mind. There's a story of one great king in India called Bharata. And this king was very pious and very wise. So he left his kingdom to his children and went to the forest to, the medi to do meditation, to try to free himself from material attachment and, and become, you know, more Krishna conscious or God conscious. But in the forest, he saved the life of, of a small deer that was drowning in the river. And the deer became very attached to him and him to the, to the deer. And uh, as a result, uh, he started to, to neglect his meditation, to play with the deer, and gradually just forgot about the spiritual life. And one day he was looking for the deer here and there, he couldn't find it. So he was very worried, oh, maybe maybe a hunter got him, or a tiger got him. And, and while he was thinking like that, he fell in a, in a hunter trap and died. But he died thinking of a deer. And according to the Bhagavad Gita, whatever you think at the time of death, that you will get. So he was, he was born again as, as a deer. But because he was very, very advanced, elevated soul, by God's grace, he couldn't remember his past life. Even in a dear body, he remembered that, oh, I was a, a human being my past life, and I was practicing spiritual life, and I was, uh, I was a little, uh, you know, uh, neglectful, and this thing happened to me, and I'm in this body. So even in a dear body, he will go and sit next to the sages to hear what they have to say, uh, wisdom and take bath in holy rivers, you know, like that. And when he died, he, he remembered some mantra he taught from past life. Then in his next life, he became human being again. But he was born in a great family of sages, you know. So in that life, he was completely aware of not to be distracted by the external world and he was always aware of that. So in that life he achieved the perfection which is eternal freedom. That's a return to our original home. Eternal spiritual life in the company of Krishna. So that's, that's the perfection. So you see, I mean, the good thing about uh, the spiritual life of Krishna consciousness is once you start it, it is a success. Because you may take you one life or a few lives or many, whatever, according to our desire, you know. But the, the success is assured. There is no loss or diminution once you start practicing, you know, chanting the mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So this mantra is very, very powerful, very important, because the mantra has the power to clean the mind, the heart, from all disturbing things, you know. 
lust, greed, envy, anger, all the bad things you can imagine. This mantra has the power to cleanse. The mind is like a mirror full of dirt and dust. And, but if you, if you mop it, you clean it, then you can see yourself in the mirror in the same way. Uh, by this chanting, one can gradually purify oneself uh, and can see his real self, perceive it, you know, within. So it's a, it's a process of self-realization. Uh, understand ourselves as spirit soul, eternal, full of peace, full of knowledge. So that's that's very important thing to know. So anyway, and there is a, there is also karma, you know. You hear about karma? That whatever you you do, whatever goes around back comes around, you know that saying? That's karma. Whatever you do good or bad, it's going to come back to you. I, I will tell you a story about that, you know? Um, a real life story. It happened beginning of the 20th century. One man immigrated from Spain to South America, Venezuela, to make money, you know? His name was Pedro. So in Venezuela, that was the, the, the 30, 1930 or something. And uh, he, he was selling milk, you know, he had, he had a, a little farm with cows, so he would make the cows sell the milk. And that's what he was doing in his, you know, in his native land. But then, in order to make money faster, he started to baptize the milk, which means adding water to it. Oh, so, of, slowly, slowly, he was increasing 3%, 5%, you know, like that. So, customer not notice so, so fast. And in a few years, you know, he expanded his business. He had, uh, you know, all over the country, you know, had, you know, uh, places to, you know, to make milk and sell it. And so he became very rich. 10, 15 years became very rich. So uh, he had a diary company all over the, the country. So after all these years, he decided to go back to his country to enjoy his new riches. So all the money he got, he had in a chest full of golden coins. At that time, that was the currency, golden coins. In my childhood in Venezuela, we used silver coins. Did at certain time in, in history the U.S. use silver coin too? Yeah. Yeah. How many years ago? I guess. Hmm. Any idea? <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, I need to say, uh, so all his money was in this big chest, you know, all golden coins. And he went to first class, first class cabin, and, you know, a big boat, you know, touristic boat and all this. And on the trip, he was making plans. So when I reached my, my island, it was from Tenerife. I, I was last year there, nice place. Yeah, we have a beautiful place there, restaurant, you know, temple, beautiful. Anyway, so this, this was making a lot of plans once I reached in my island. And I'm gonna buy a mansion, get the the best, you know, new model car, and find myself a beautiful, pretty girlfriend. And all this. He was making so many plans. Oh, I have so much money. I can build, make a building, and sell an apartments, and become even richer. So, but you know the saying: man proposes, God disposes. So in the middle of the of the voyage with the trip. Uh, there was a big, gigantic storm. I mean, the captain was afraid that the, the boat may sink in the ocean. So he asked the sailor, throw everything heavy, you know, into the ocean. Yeah. So the, the sailors were going to each cabin, oh, this is heavy, they threw it on the ocean. So they arrived at Pedro's cabin. Oh, this chest is very heavy, we're not throwing. No, 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 I have money there, I can give you all the money you want. 
Don't throw it. What is the use of money? You're gonna drown all of us here. You're not gonna die, so no use for us. They took the chest and threw it in the, in the ocean. This poor Pedro almost jumped after it. You know, he was he was crying and lamenting, oh my money, my my gold, how's possible, you know. He was really, really, you know, miserable, suffering, you know. But after like crying and lamenting for a couple hours, he calmed down. And he spoke to, to his mommy. He said, with water I made you, and water you left me. <laughs> That's the law of karma. You know? He added water to the milk. <laughs> so the money was left him in water. <laughs> it's a real life story. A real life story. So that is how karma works, you know. What goes around comes around, eventually it will happen. Good or bad, you know, if you do something good, it will come back to you too. Yes, so, but the whole idea is try to go beyond the, the, the temporary or, or uh, the relative good and bad, you know. What is good for somebody may be bad for others, you know, uh, or vice versa. <coughs> But the absolute true, which I'm talking about, is the summum bonum, or the highest, you know, reality. And that's our, all around us, like my, my guru said, you can see him in, in the sky, you can see him in water. I am the test of water, as Krishna said. The sun and moon are my eyes, you know. You can see him in nature, you can, because he's everywhere around us. And we are part of him. We are, we are essentially speaking, uh, eternal spirit souls. But we have forgotten our true nature. We're trying, we're trying to accommodate ourselves to this world to be happy. But no matter how hard we try, the end is disease, old age, and death. So before we die, we have to ask ourselves, why am I here? What is the purpose of life? Why am I suffering? To be a little inquisitive about this reality. So thank you for coming. And I would like to have a, a little conversation, a little discussion. If you have any comment or doubt or question, please, we like to share, you know? We like to, we have a, when I serve dinner also, I hear. Okay. All right. Yes. For for those that, you know how you said you see Krishna and everything, or you see mm. God and everything, for those that you said that they think this is it, what, I know um, most of the time, because the atheists, they're stubborn, you just leave them alone, let them be. Yeah. But there's people that are also like, you know, well, they're confused. They're not, they don't know which way to go. I don't want to ever be like adamant. God exists. <laughs> you know, it's like you're, you're wrong. He's everywhere. You don't see him. Uh, what would be the best way to approach someone like that? Hmm. Can you say what they think about? Like um, they'll say, well, you know, it's it's the, that Krishna doesn't have a form. But God doesn't have a form. Okay. It's just all energy and. After well, we die, it's the void, nothing else after. Well, I mean, it is true, God doesn't have a material form, but He does have a spiritual form. I mean, the material world is just a shadow, a reflection of reality, you know? If, if we, here we have forms, how can God be devoid of His own creation? If his own creation has forms, has varieties, has relationship, you know, how can God be devoid of all these things if we created them? It's more pleasure to be a person and have a form and relate with others than just being a light, you know, floating around. <laughs> I mean, come on. God knows better than us how to enjoy, you know. He likes to enjoy with the company of other souls who are very spiritual and pure. 
rather than just be a light floating around, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and some so, of us are, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, please do. Or some of us in this lifetime maybe don't, is it that some of us won't always get there to the, even the realization that Krishna, God exists, that we have lifetimes in the future? Yeah, but why, why to wait next life? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm, not, I'm saying if we know people who yeah, yeah. don't believe. Yeah, yeah, but we try to help them if they of allow course. If they allow themselves to be helped, of course. We, yeah. we can't force anybody to understand, but we feel it is our duty at least to try to help right. them, you know. Yeah. We know because they think like that because they, they don't have enough knowledge. Maybe that's what all they hear about. But if they have an open mind and give up prejudice, you know, they can s learn something more, you know. I also thought the same way. I, I, before coming to Krishna consciousness, I was uh, practicing yoga, I vegetarian. I had this idea, God is energy is everywhere, I am God, you are God, everything is God. But that's not true. That's only partial truth. Partial truth. Higher truth is, yes, he's everywhere as energy, but he's beyond the energy. He's the origin of all energies. All energies come from him. He's the supreme energetic. So this yes. Is it always the case that whatever you think of the time of bodily death, yes. you go to? I mean, for example, what if you thought of Krishna at the time of death? Oh, that's great. But then you go back to Krishna. But then you were never really a devotee. No, no, if you are not a devotee, you will not be able to think of Krishna at the time of death. I, let me assure you that. It's not as simple, because when you think at the time of death of something you really love, so unless you love God, how can you gonna think of Him at the time of death? Not possible. If you haven't practiced the chanting, you know, in your life, and get purified, and get attachment to to God, then you will not be able to think of it. You may think, now, okay, it's easy, yes, I'm going to die, okay, I'll think of Krishna. But it doesn't work like that. <laughs> At that time, you know, the agony of the mind and the body is very intense. You will not think about what you want to think, you will think about the things you're attached to, that you love, you know. that. And if you have developed love, you know, in life, you have practiced during your life, you know, the, the chanting of the mantra, you know, the Hare Krishna, and meditated on him, then you have more, more probability that you will be able to do it. Huh? Yes? It just seems like the way we're talking about karma, that you'll think about what you'll miss the most at the yeah. time of death. Like, what will I miss about... In yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. This body, this will be over. Yeah, I, I mean, unfulfilled desires, right. or we want, you know, more things materially we haven't got. So you have to have another material body to fulfill your those desires, according to our karma, you know, or good or bad deeds. We will get. You may be born again as human, another country, another family. You know, you don't know where. But uh, then you will get the opportunity to satisfy your desires. But at the end of the day, no matter how hard you try, you can't fulfill all your desires. There's a Bengali saying, if desire were horses, all beggars would ride horses. Mm. Would be riding horses. So just to have the desire, you have also to deserve it by your own merit, you know, your own actions. But after all, good or bad in this world is temporary. Imagine somebody in jail, and a uh, hundred years ago they used to chain them, you know, in prison. And I suppose one of those prisoners was very rich, so he's, he's having golden chains. So he's showing off, oh, I have golden chains. <laughs> Your chains are made of iron. 
<laughs> what is the deal of having golden chains in, in, in prison? <laughs> I guess to get out, not to have a better chance, you know. So this way, if you think that just to make this life better, this world better, it's like having golden chains, like just to get out, not to, you know. Make sense? Very good question. Uh, the, the ultimate goal of human life is to go back to our divine origin. We have a divine origin. And that divine origin is Krishna. And he has his own kingdom, eternal spiritual kingdom. This material world is not our real home. We are passing through it. And while we are here, we believe we are the owner, the enjoyer of everything. But no, we are, we are just struggling for existence. So the whole idea, if you want to stop suffering and be happy forever, we have to get the spiritual body. So what can we do in this passing body to like, um, be more conscious of that? Yes. To be more conscious of that, one has to practice some discipline, some spiritual practice, you know? We have a spiritual practice which we do every, every day. We get up early in the morning, we, we meditate, we chant the mantras, you know? We read some spiritual books and discuss amongst us, you know? And, and we stop eating meat and drinking alcohol and other things like that. So we try to purify our, our life, our existence, you know? It's a gradual process, gradual, but progressive, progressive. One has to read the book to understand it. We have many books, like The Science of Self-Realization, oh, Life Come From Life, The Bhagavad Gita, you know? Uh, easy, easy journey to other planets, real <laughs> interesting books anyway you can read any of those books you can find them just there you see the entrance mm -hmm. there's a table full of books you take you take, you take any book you like and just need donation you get the book read it find what is the philosophy behind it and how to practice how to how to attain a spiritual consciousness you know that's that's his question, basically, how to have to have a spiritual life, you know, to, to elevate ourselves, you know. Now we are entangled, you know, in so many things, so many attachments. Uh, we are not Americans or Indians or Chinese or Mexicans. We are eternal spirit souls. When this body dies, the soul doesn't die. So we have to look for eternal happiness. But you can't get with the material life because the material happiness is temporary. Ends with the body. Uh, when, when we are young, we, we can have the power to enjoy, you know, our, our body, our senses. But when old age comes, sickness comes, suffering comes, even I mean, young people also suffer diseases and sickness too, you know. Uh, so if one is intelligent enough, one should ask oneself, why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to get old? Why do I have to die, get sick? Why? I don't want those things. Why they are imposed upon me? So as soon as you ask this question, you are starting your spiritual life because you're starting to become inquisitive about the truth, isn't it? Then you try to find the answer. And the answer is, we have to have a spiritual practice to, to clear our consciousness, you know? Krishna consciousness means clear consciousness. And material consciousness means uh, hazy consciousness, you know? Fuzzy consciousness, not so clear. 
<laughs> it's like the water that comes from the sky in the form of rain. It's very crystal clear, man. A touch, when it touches the ground, it becomes more dirty. So we have to use a, a, you know, a filter to purify it and be useful again. In the same way, our original consciousness is pure consciousness, Krishna consciousness. But when we come in touch with the material energy, we get confused. We believe ourselves a, a, a product of matter when we are not. So is it is it philosophies? Is it real knowledge beyond religion? In one sense, you know that you don't have to be of any particular religion to understand this philosophy because it's universal. The principles are universal. So, is that uh, yes. good enough? No. I guess you wanted something. You want to know something more? Mm -hmm. Please yeah, do. I'm very new to all this, so I'm just very curious and I'm, I have a very open mind to everything. Very good. So. Very good. So yes. I've heard of the concept of samadhi, maybe like a total absorption. It's a yeah. yoga concept, the top of Ashtangas. Yes. So, is Krishna consciousness is it equal to samadhi in some way? Yeah, yeah. So we have that that idea that we have to become absorbed, you know, and then the practice of meditation. Meditation means to focus your attention one object and nothing else. But the object of meditation is not just anything material. The object of meditation is, is the, the loving relationship we have with, with Krishna, with God. I mean, to understand Him. I mean, He has an eternal spiritual form full of blissful of knowledge. And, uh, and uh, when Krishna came to this world 5,000 years ago, He's an historical personality. He spoke the Bhagavad Gita when he was 96 years old, but he looked like a 18 years old, you know, God never gets old. I mean, I, I've seen painting of God like an old Jesus, you know, <laughs> have you seen that? <laughs> and I wondered why they paint him like an old man? Then I thought, oh, maybe because they think that since God created the world and that was so long ago, he must be old by now. <laughs> but if God doesn't have a material form, he's a spirit, isn't he? So the spirit doesn't get old. So that's why I never see Krishna's picture, although he stayed in this world 125 years. Uh, he's always young. And beautiful, eternally. So he has names, he has forms, he has uh, qualities and activities. That's another thing. If God created the world in six days and rested the seventh, what did he do in the eighth day? I want to know, you know. <laughs> what he was doing before creating the world. If he's eternal, he must be doing. He must have been doing something, you know. So anyway, all this information we got in our the Vedas. You know, the Vedas are the most ancient, authentic knowledge of of spiritual life. You know, the Vedas are like most ancient knowledge in a written form, five thousand years old. And there it is explained everything. What is this material world? Who are we? What are we doing here? Who is God? What he's doing? What form he has? Where does he live? All the information. Full information. So we can stay absorbed in that. And then we can get our mind busy with higher Understanding. Yes. Uh, you know, a pre he has a 
karma story similar to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It's his, um, his father was in a concentration camp because he was a German who fought against the Nazis. Oh. But uh, when he was young, him and his friend were playing in the backyard and his friend took a slice of bread and kicked it over the fence. And Prithu, his father, told him, he said, you can't do that. That's, that comes from God. That's God's mercy. The food, yeah. yeah. And his friend just laughed at him. Forty years later, they both find themselves in the concentration camp. But his friend is suffering terribly. And then the war was won. Uh, the British had, uh, invaded the camp and were freeing the prisoners and they're meeting everybody in a, a medical facility. And so the British doctor came up and he said, just one slice of bread would have saved this man's life. His friend was, was passing away. Mm -hmm. And his friend, he said, do you remember? Do you remember? And made him remember the whole incident. Yeah. <laughs> You kicked the piece of bread, now you need it so much. <laughs> I mean, when I, when I grew up as a child, my parents taught me that if a piece of bread falls to the floor, you have to touch it to your forehead and say it is God's, you know, mercy and eat it, don't throw it away. You know? So, yeah. So we had many folks here. They wanted to hear their very interesting story of your your childhood. Maybe you are you want to know <laughs> why you blame on them. <laughs> he was reading my mind. We Who didn't know there was an interesting story. <laughs> All right, okay. I mean, I don't mind, you know, to share with you, you know, my life story. I can summarize it, you know. Well, like he said, I was born in Aleppo, Syria, Middle East. Uh, there's a Muslim country, but my parents were, were, were Christians. There's a minority there, even now, like 10% of the population. And before I was born, my parents have, had uh, twins and one more son, and they lost them because of sickness and you know diseases like that, heavy winters, and uh, so they were very much you know sad, and they went to they went to the church, and they were praying to God, and the, the next son survived that. We will dress him as a as a monk for three years, and we'll offer him for your service. So. I have pictured myself just as a little man from the age of two to five. <laughs> anyway, so when I was two, my parents immigrated to South America, Venezuela, from Lebanon. We took a boat all the way. And uh, when I was nine, my parents decided to go back to Syria. So I went to school there, learned, learned French and Arabic, you know. And uh, when I was 14, my parents were going to send me to the monastery to become a, you know, a monk or a priest, whatever. But that same year, they decided to go back to South America. So I had to choose between one thing or the other. So since I was only 14, I said, no, I better go with you. you know? I don't want to be left alone, you know. <laughs> anyway, so we went back to South America. And uh, I remember once I asked the priest how God looks like. Since the Bible said we have made an image of God, so he must have a form, an image, how he looks like. He said, oh, that's a, that's a mystery. Nobody has seen God. So I wasn't satisfied with that answer. Then I read the Bible that Jesus said, there are more truth to be told, but you are not ready to understand. So, okay, he's giving permission. If you don't find it here, look somewhere else. <laughs> After all, he also said, look for the truth, make you free. It will make you free, isn't it? So I said, okay, let's look for the truth, whatever it is, whatever. So in that search, I came to know about uh, meditation and yoga, I started practicing, became vegetarian, you know, and then, but 
But uh, the yoga teacher didn't know much about also God. He said, well, ask him about God. He said, oh, there's an energy everywhere. No personal information. So I kept searching, and uh, one day I was, uh, one friend of mine invited me to the opening of a new yoga center in, in Bogota, Colombia. We went to Venezuela. And we went there. And while we were at the vegetarian restaurant, I told my friend, can I share you a thought? He said, please do, what, we have, what you have in your mind. I said, do you see from the window this big building? This is made by man. And do you see, do you see here on the table this fragrant, beautiful roses? These are made by God. If God can make such beautiful thing, imagine how beautiful he must be. But unfortunately, I don't know yet about him. But I promise you, the day I will come to know him in truth, I will surrender my life to him. And my friend said, oh, that's a very nice thought, but please take it easy on me. <laughs> Don't become too spiritual, you know. <laughs> he was a little worried and I become too spiritual. And after a few days, we went back to Venezuela and walking one street, we, when, when Hare Krishna monk stopped us, you know, and we had a conversation, and he invited us to visit his temple, you know. It was a new temple, like a few months old, you know. Uh, but, uh, so he said, oh, we, we have, a, we have a chanting and dancing, and we chant mantras, we read Bhagavad Gita, and we have also vegetarian dinner, and everything is free, please come. I said, okay, sounds good, we would like to know. So we went that, uh, that evening to the temple on Sunday. And, uh, as soon as we went to the temple, some devotees greeted us. They went, oh. So I'm like, can I ask you a question? I said, yes. They said, please. For you, how God looks like? I asked them. And to my surprise, they showed me a beautiful big oil painting of Krishna playing the flute. Here is God, this is God. <laughs> and I thought, I looked at it and I thought, wow, far out. <laughs> Why not? He could be God. He looks very beautiful. <laughs> and I thought all religions of the world looking for God. And, they had, and this Hare Krishna people have his painting on, in their temple. I mean, that's revolutionary. I need to know more about this people, you know. So I start visiting, reading the books, start chanting also the mantra. And gradually, gradually I start to have experience. I start to have an actual experience, you know, spiritual realization. Start coming to me, you know. And, uh, and that made me convinced that, that this is what I was looking for. So I told my parents that I decided to go to the temple and become a monk. Of course, they didn't like much the idea, you know. But I told them, remember that uh, you should be happy, not sad, because you told me that you made this <laughs> promise to God. Now is the time to fulfill your promise, and I'm helping you. You should be happy. They said, well, well, we meant the Christian God, not the Hindu God. I thought you should have been more specific then. <laughs> because God is one, he's not Indian or Christian or Muslim, whatever. Uh, I said, don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to find out what it's all about. If I don't like it, I will come back. Oh, okay, then come back soon, let's see. Of course, I went there, I stayed, I liked it. had a great experience, you know. Uh, but after like a few weeks, my parents came for, for, to visit. They brought my two brothers and two sisters along. And uh, I offered them our vegetarian food we give, offered, you know, with love to the Lord. And they enjoy it. They like the place, a nice place, you know, beautiful place because you can see all the valley and surrounded with mountains, a beautiful place, good, great view. So I asked them, in my enthusiasm to come to the temple, I forgot to give you the temple's address. How did you find it? Mm -hmm. At that time, there was no internet 
or Google or anything like that. And, and the temple address wasn't in the yellow pages. Mm -hmm. Was I mean, a few months started in South America, less than a year. So they looked smiling, but my younger sister said, okay, I will tell you the truth. We went to see a psychic to help us find you. And he asked for your picture. And then he sent the ghost who found the address, and that's how we arrived here. <laughs> really? Yeah, really. Far out, you know. <laughs> the ghost did some service, he brought you to the temple. <laughs> anyway, so. And gradually they start to read the books, and you know, they start to like the, the teachings. And mother, my mother became vegetarian, started chanting, you know, the mantra, Hare Krishna, you know, like that. Uh, after after a few years, I went to Mexico for the first time, and uh, the Sunday feast there is big. You know, I mean, three, four hundred people will come. You know, it's a big city. And I was asked to give the lecture, since, you know, I was visiting there. And uh, one, one, one devotee, he filmed uh, all the Sunday pro festival, you know. He filmed everything. And he gave me a copy, at that time, VHS, you know. So uh, he gave me a copy. When I went back to Venezuela, I made a copy for my father, I gave it to him. So my father looked at it for a few minutes and started making calls to his friends. Oh, somebody brought me a very interesting video from Mexico. Would you like to see it? What's about? Oh, that's a surprise. I'm not going to tell you. You have to come. So many of his friends came and he put the video, you know, I was, you know, giving lecture, many people asking questions, you know, like that, you know, all this thing. And, and he told his friends, look, look, my son became a bishop of the Hare Krishna religion. <laughs> he was very proud. <laughs> anyway. When, when, I was, when I started practicing, I decided to make a spiritual retreat for myself. So I took a tent from my house and went to a lonely beach, you know. And I was chanting and just eating fruit or coconut water, no, nothing cooked or anything. Like for two weeks and the chanting, I mean, I had wonderful experiences, you know, really, really wonderful experiences with that. And I was reading the book, uh, uh, Sri Sopanishads, or in English they call it, what they call it, the Secrets of Other Times, or anyway, have a subtitle like that. Anyway, after two weeks there, after having all this wonderful realization, uh, a test, you know, I had a big, big test. A very close friend of mine arrived at the beach with two beautiful young girls, and he said, oh, we are looking for a place to stay, and you have this big tent. The four of us can fit there very easily. And I, I brought with me some marijuana, so we're going to have a great time. You know? And. Uh, I mean, this girl is my girlfriend, but the other one is free, don't worry, it's okay. <laughs> but, but at that time I knew that uh, this is a test, you know, from Maya, from illusion. So I told the lie to my friend. I start dismantling the tents. Actually, I have to return this tent today, it doesn't belong to me, which wasn't true. But, uh, my friend, what happened to you? Became crazy or something? <laughs> Are you gonna miss this opportunity, man? What's this, what's wrong with you? No, no, I have to go. You know, I just want to run away from that. You know? But at that time, I knew, you know, I was not the body, I'm the soul, and I have to look for a spiritual happiness, not not to be entangled in saying the same things I was doing before. So I wanted some higher spiritual realization and happiness, you know, not this flickering happiness from the senses, you know, which doesn't give real satisfaction to the soul. So so I went home, they were on vacation, so I was alone, I kept chanting my fruit diet, 
And one day I was chanting for eight hours non-stop. I couldn't stop. It was, was flowing so nicely and I felt so spiritually elated by the chanting that I kept chanting, chanting for eight hours non-stop. After those eight hours, I stopped finally and I looked at the picture of Krishna and something amazing happened. Uh, like some energy entered my body from the picture and I was like feeling like, you know, like a wave coming up and down and uh, my, the, the, the hair of my body came to end and I was like having like a spiritual realization. And then my mind became very calm and quiet, very peaceful, like a lake, you know. And, and I could think of Krishna very, very peacefully. No other thought will come to my mind unless I will allow it. And that lasted for many, many months, not just one or two days. But then I had in the balcony of my house, I had a hammock. And I laid down a little bit in the hammock. And suddenly my mind jumped off to, out of my body. The mind was so happy, you know, but by this spiritual experience that the mind jumped out of the body. So I had an out-of-body experience. You know? I mean I mean to say before becoming devotee I was doing astral travel. You know what astral travel means. I even had amazing experiences once I went with, with my friend at the beach. And I saw uh, a bird flying, you know. So I said, I would like to know how the birds see the sea from up there. So I set the meditation and concentrated my mind on the bird. And suddenly I was seeing the ocean from above, from the eyes of the bird. So I had some experience in, in, before becoming, you know, devotee of Krishna. But this was completely different. When I jumped out of my body, I, I thought I was going to die because I was seeing planets and stars, you know, I was going, I don't know where, you know. I thought, oh, maybe I'm going to die. And then I started shouting, oh, Krishna, Krishna, <laughs> you know. So, but no, I came back to the body again and I thought, what just happened? This is better than LSD. <laughs> <laughs> Before, I mean, we don't take any drugs or intoxication at all. But that was, be, you know, before. So I understood this is real. This experience is real. This is what, what I was looking for, you know. Uh, some real, tangible spirituality, you know, that you can really experience and, and uh, feel real peace and satisfaction. So, that's my life experience. <laughs> I'm glad you came back, Marsh. Oh, thank you. Thanks for coming back. Wasn't my time yet. <laughs> that, that book, Ishupanishad? Yes. Uh, we were in Seattle uh, on a traveling bus. Uh, it was about... 10 or 11 monks were living on this bus and um, we had parked on uh, some lone street in the middle of nowhere. It was like in, kind of like in the woods. And so on the bus, we, there was, like, we didn't really have a bathroom. We had a shower, we had a kitchen, we had a 40-foot bus with like wood floors and cabinets and stuff and a whole bunch of monks living on the bus. So I went to go and use the bathroom in number one. Uh, out into the forest, foresty area. It was like off the highway. And I was just about to, and I see the book <laughs> sitting there in the, uh, the bush. There's a book called the Sri Ishopanishad, a paperback book, about 200 pages. Wow. And, um, and so that day we went downtown uh, to Seattle, and then some guy came up to us and said, I'm looking for this book. Srai, Srai Isu. I can't know, I don't know how to say it. It's like Srai Isu Panisad or something. I was like, oh, Sri Ishopanishad? Oh, you wouldn't believe how I found it today. 
Uh, he was looking for the book. Even looking for that, we didn't have that. We're out. We're we, we're completely out. We had we had uh, got like thirty thousand pounds worth of books on the bus, and we went all around America. And that was yeah. just like the end of our trip. So we're done. We're finished with that book. Okay. Good. I tell you an experience uh, I read recently. It happened in Ukraine. One one the devotee was uh, selling books, you know, spiritual books, of course. And he went to somebody's home, knocked on the door. One lady opened the door and he offered her the book. And she said, yes, I'm very interested to buy this book. Please come to my home. And uh, she went to get the money. And he was looking at a beautiful painting of Lord Jesus, you know, she had in the hall. And when she came back, she asked him, oh, do you like this painting? Oh, yes, it's very nice, you know. He told him, you know, we love Jesus too, you know. I said, oh, very good. She told him, I have to confess something to you. Three days ago, I had a dream where Lord Jesus appeared to me and told me, I, I strongly advise you to become a vegetarian. And in three, day, three days from now, a, 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 a man is going to knock at your door to offer you some books. Buy all of them. Wow. So it's a true story. So it's good to know that Jesus is, is, our, is, is open-minded in our side. <laughs> <laughs> Not just that, he's a like, good spokesperson. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, what he said is even three days from now, he will come to the door and have in three days. I mean, it was, it was, he wasn't lying. Yeah. So when people ask you why you're vegetarian, what do you tell them? Yeah, I tell them that the animals have souls too, and they they don't deserve to suffer and die just to satisfy our our tongue, you know, or uh, these bonds. So they have a soul too. Animals have souls. I mean, we eat, they eat. They have children like us. Huh? They resist suffering, they avoid suffering, and they bleed like we do. So how is that they don't have a soul? With all the similarities. Uh, and I tell them, if you're a Christian, the Bible says you should not kill. You know? In the Bible, Romans 14.21, it is said, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine. Once I, uh, a Christian came to our temple in Mexico and I told him about this verse, so he opened his Bible and found it. He said, yes, it is true. But, but, it say it is not, it say it is not good, but doesn't say it is bad. <laughs> How the mind plays trick on you, you know. If it is not good, what it is. <laughs> anyway, so that I mean, if you if you follow a vegetarian diet, you're less violent, you know. You're more compassionate to the animals. It's not enough just to be vegetarian. We also, beside being vegetarian, we offer our vegetarian food before we eat them. To, we offer it with love to God, to Krishna, so it becomes a spiritual food. You know? we, we, don't, we don't just thank God for the food, no, we offer it to God, to, for Him to enjoy the food before we accept it. Because in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, The translation is, Offer me with love, a fruit, a flower, a glass of water, a vegetable, with love, I will accept. So he doesn't ask for meat or fish or eggs, so we don't offer these things. We all offer the things he asks for. That is love. If you love your friend and he asks you a glass of water, and you bring him a glass of milk, no, oh, milk is better for you. No, but ask water. <laughs> See. 
So it's very important to feel love, compassion for the animals too. You know, they are the, they are our they are the, our younger brothers. You know, you know Saint Francis, Saint Francis of Assisi. He said once, uh, the animals are my brothers and sisters. I don't eat my brothers. So it's a question of awakening or awareness that uh, it is not good to eat, to kill animals, you know, unnecessarily. When we have so many varieties of food, we don't need to, you know. One lady came to our temple in Mexico. Oh, so you don't eat meat? No fish, no egg, no chicken, no. Then what do you eat? I said, I said everything else. <laughs> everything else. And there are much more variety, you know. Here we have a restaurant. It's a, it's a winner, no? It's a many, many even famous people have come to, that praised, you know, the, the food. You know. No need to use animals to eat nicely or tasty. Just we're attached to it, that's why people, you know, think it's, it's very difficult to give it up. But you have to have a higher taste. You don't, you don't give up something and it's something better. Isn't it? So that's the experience. When you have the spiritual experience and, and you try the spiritual food, then you understand there is no need to continue doing this, you know. I'm going to tell you how I became vegetarian. Would you like to hear the story? Yes, yes. This is a very, uh, very uncommon story, you know. Like many things happen in my life. Uh, I started practicing yoga. My friend, a friend of mine introduced me to yoga. I wasn't vegetarian yet. So my friend asked me, why are you going to become vegetarian? I know, I know it's good. One of those days I will do it. And I was, okay, after, after. Then one day this friend of mine asked me, uh, would you like to have a mystical experience? I say, wow, yes, what do, we, what do I have to do? Well, I heard from a friend that there are some magical mushrooms that grow from the cow dung. And if you eat them, you will have a spiritual vision. I never heard about it, say, me either, but I just came to know about it. You know, yesterday. What do you think? Should we try it? He said, well, I don't know. Let's see what happens. Okay. He said, but my friend told me we have to go to such mountain up there. The, the cows are grazing and there's more chance to find those uh, mushrooms. So we went up the mountain, like one hour walking up the mountain, you know. And we found the cows grazing and we found some mushroom growing from the cow dung. So we collected a few of that and put some lime on it, you know, the bacteria or whatever. And, and we, we took a few of those and we started hallucinating. It's hallucinating. We started to see the colors brighter, the flowers bigger, and the wind blowing slowly, slow motion, you know, things like that. The distances became closer, farther, you know. Like, like a movie, you know. And suddenly I turned my face, my friend disappeared on me, you know. Where is he? You know, you're just here. You know. I don't know where he went. Uh, and suddenly I start to see subtle entities, you know. Like ghost-like people, you know, walking around the mountain. And I, I saw the sun was setting, so oh, better I go down the mountain you know, before it becomes dark. You know. I was still, still hallucinating. So I went down the mountain, I found the road, all cars passing through. Oh, I can get some transportation around here. And I saw a cow grazing nearby, so I went to the cow and started fonding the cow, you know, harassing the cow. And to my great shock, the, the cow spoke to me. The cow, the cow said, you're an hypocrite, you're a hard-hearted person. You're, you're fondling me, but at the same time, you're eating me. I'm giving you the milk, the butter, the yogurt, even this mushroom you took. 
Steve, you are so hard-hearted, you know? When I hear that, I fell on my knees, you know? Please forgive me, you know? People are passing through. <laughs> <laughs> Something blew up his mind. So, so I promised the cow, please forgive me, I will never again eat meat again in my life. Sure, you promise. Yes, yes, I promise, I will never again. Okay. I can see you are sincere. I forgive you. But promise you never again in your life read me. I promise. Okay. Done. Then I hug the cow. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and since then I never hit Meg again. <laughs> when I told my friend I was cracking, you know. Something like that has to happen to you too. <laughs> to make up your mind, you know. <laughs> A real life story. Anyway. <laughs> of course, after that, I never took mushrooms again. Not only mushrooms, anything. No other, no other intoxication, drug, nothing. I wasn't, not even drinking or smoking at that time, but I gave up any kind of intoxication, so to be. You know, now I need to know what is reality, you know, beyond illusion. All right. Any more comments, questions? Then please serve the, the prasad. Thank you very much, Marsh. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.